listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Pharmacy benefit managers, better known as PBMs, are responsible for negotiating payment rates for a large share of prescription drugs distributed in the United States. Recently, state Medicaid systems, policymakers, and national pharmacy associations have expressed concern that certain PBMs' business practices may not be consistent with public policy goals to improve the value of pharmaceutical spending. This podcast series is all about PBM reform. Listen to the discussions, share these podcasts, and help build a new pharmacy payer system, which supports our independent community pharmacies, encourages fair and transparent competition in the marketplace, and most importantly, is designed to deliver the best patient care. The PBM Reform Podcast Series returns. We have been out there listening to uh, some of the experts that we follow within PBM Reform, what's happening within the court systems, as well as pharmacists changing the game. Uh, Pharmacists who are building payer models that never existed two or five years ago, cash-based pharmacists who are now building clubs in order to completely remove the PBM from the healthcare system entirety. And it really shouldn't have to be that way. We, you know, Dom Meff from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, rest his soul, him and his sons have been deep into specialty pharmacy and pharmacy. But Dom Meff Sr., he helped to invent one of the very first PBMs back in the 80s. And the management of the uh, steelworkers' medications and their needs and their families' needs, it meant so much to the healthcare systems, the physicians, the pharmacists that were prescribing. It made sense. Formulary management, um, better pricing with, with manufacturers and generic balance. It made sense. And then all of a sudden, I don't know when it happened, but algorithms and very smart lawyers and people that were getting um, very, very greedy entered the space of our pharmacy benefit managers and took us hostage, took the entire profession of pharmacy hostage. PBMs have implications and domino effects on pharmacy care, ranging from burnout from pharmacists, burnout from our technicians, not staffing the uh, pharmacies correctly because they can't afford in the model that it is. Almost as if a big chain pharmacy out there eating itself alive based on its its grip on the pharmacy marketplace and what PBMs are currently doing in the status quo of where we're at today. So we get excited when we can welcome experts in the field of PBM reform, bringing their knowledge and experience to try to help change um, and, and, and return to the goodness of what PBMs used to do for us. I want to introduce to the PBM reform podcast and the Pharmacy Podcast Network, Lindsay Baylor Greenleaf. She's vice president and policy at ADV Health, uh, ADV, ADVI Health. Lindsay, I am thrilled to welcome you to the PBM reform podcast. Thanks for having me, Todd. Excited to be here. So in intro and really setting the stage, um, you have had some really interesting um, experience in the realm of PBM. You've been um, referenced in so many publications since I've been digging and in, in stalking you on uh, on Google and trying to find more content. And I went back as far as 2016, 2017 which was kind of the bubbling, the, the water just started to boil a little bit. Now it's 
it's going crazy about how run amok the PBMs have become. And you know very well, uh, our United States Senator Chuck Grassley uh, and Maria uh, Catwell, they introduced two bills that seek to hold pharmacy benefit managers accountable for their practices and the the rebate game and the the price gouging and the and the pullback of DIR fees from our our community pharmacists out there. Set the stage for us. What role do you play in this evolution of pharmacy care? And tell us a little bit about your work with with Advi. Sure. So certainly not a new issue, as you've described. We've been tracking this uh, troubling evolution for many years now. Uh, but at AbbVie, uh, we work with a number of healthcare stakeholders, pharma, biotech manufacturers, physician practices. Uh, we have some oncology practices that have in-office dispensing that they have some real concerns around PBM practices that we're going to talk about today. Uh, also work with medical device manufacturers, diagnostics, digital health. Uh, all things federal, state policy related, you name it, we're we're working on it. So uh, with the the PBM reforms you're talking about, yes, let's let's talk about those bills that were just introduced. Um, before jumping into that, might be helpful to acknowledge the massive law that was enacted uh, last year, the Inflation Reduction Act, and the significant drug pricing reforms that were part of that. Um, and to acknowledge that the PBMs were totally spared in that new law. So, uh, you know, in August of last year, the IRA passed and it included um, numerous drug pricing policies, most notably government negotiation. And we put quotes on negotiation. It's really government price setting uh, for drugs. There's a policy for inflationary penalties if a drug's price increases faster than inflation, which you know, typically when that happens, it's because PBMs are demanding higher rebates and manufacturers don't really have much else they can do to mitigate that, but that's okay. We have those in place now. There's also Medicare Part D benefit redesign. Uh, helpful $2,000 out-of-pocket cap is now in place for uh, seniors taking Part D drugs. But, you know, as part of all of this, there's one big giveaway to the PBMs, which is the law further delays or essentially repeals the OIG rebate rule, which um, we won't bore your listeners too much going into too many details. But you'll recall the OIG rebate rule was the rule from the Trump administration that would have uh, stopped troubling rebate practices that are happening in Part D um, by delaying that for complicated reasons. The Congressional Budget Office has projected that uh, that'll save the government $122 billion in the IRA. That was one of the biggest pay for. So all that to say, the Inflation Reduction Act included no reforms to the PBM's business model. Their business model is alive and well. They still have 80% you know, of lives within three PBMs. All of that's the same and a regulation that the PBMs don't like, it's now further delayed. You know, it cannot go into effect before 2032, which is another way of saying it's it's gone. So with that backdrop, they got, they got quite a free pass in a massive sweeping law last year. So now it's 2023. If you wanna complain about drug prices, you wanna do something on prescription drugs, there's one stakeholder that has not been touched and and that's the PBMs and that's that's where the scrutiny is going to be this year. So part of the issue Lindsay that that you're helping to bring to light 
is the fact that our consumers, which are being pinched, and some of them can't even afford their medications or they're splitting tablets, um, they're not able to afford insulin, they're not able to afford technology like the the continuous glucose monitors and, and, and so forth. It affects every aspect of medication treatment is the PBMs are so complex in the business models and how their business models change depending if it's 340B, yeah. if it's specialty medications, if it's your average uh, Joe antibiotic over the counter, um, if it's um, you know special accounts that are set up, uh, the rebates. It's so complex that the average consumer has no idea what's going on. And when they go to the pharmacy counter in a retail setting, and sure enough, the um, the cashier or the technician uh, is checking them out and they say, that'll be $52. And they're like, wait, this time last year, it was a $10 copy. Why is it $52? Now they get angry at that tech or that pharmacy that's literally the, the entity that's in front of them, the healthcare provider that's in front of them. They're under the impression, wow, you pharmacies are so, you know, gosh darn, you yeah. know, uh, gra grabby. And then- then, then the next layer, that's the first layer consumer of understanding. Second layer consumer is, no, it's not the pharmacies. Don't blame them. It's the manufacturer. You know, that uh, that pharmaceutical manufacturer, you know, is just ripping us a, a new one based on our tax. About, and then it's finally the third person that has taken time to read and research and saying, no, it's actually the PBMs and the models that they've created and the 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 once again the the effect a uh, ripple effect domino effect whatever you want to say that it's had on every aspect of medication management not even giving our pharmacists which is another podcast the ability to do what they were designed to do and trained to do as PharmDs in order to do medication management and treatment uh, modality change based on what's happening in the therapy, especially in our chronic patients. And that is all hostage. That is all hostage to the mighty, mighty PBMs that are taking massive, massive amounts of profits and money away from the healthcare ecosystem and treatment system, which when we start ta talking tax dollar, that's what bothers me the most is because there have been Medicaid systems set up and Medicare systems set up to service some of our most fragile of patients. So I loved in the article that you were quoted in where you said these fees benefit PBMs and the expense of the patients and pharmacies. Patients have faced high cost sharing based on uh, undiscounted prices, while pharmacies are hit with huge, unpredictable, retroactive fees that penalize them for failing to meet measures that are often irrelevant to them. And then you go on to, to talk about oncology practices that dispense medications are frequently hit with fees because the PBMs say they haven't met certain measures, D, you know, the 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 standards and the the, right. the the scoring systems and are completely incapable of to cancer care, like management of diabetes and cholesterol. This infuriates me, oh, Lindsay. Uh -huh. They're benefiting from the confusion and they're benefiting from the complexity of what it is that they do and the confusion just around their role in this whole setup here. Um, it would take policymakers in the form of Congress, CMS, or the FTC, somebody to, to do something, and they're most inclined to do something when 
taxpayers are yelling about it. You know, you have that consumer voice loud and clear saying we're angry about this certain thing. But but when the process is this confusing, you know, the blame is often placed in the wrong places. Like you talked about, you know, point the finger at the pharmacist, point your finger at the manufacturer. It's just so complex that um, it's really hard to to get these points across quickly and, you know, articulately in a way that everybody's paying attention. Um, the other thing is, you know, the PBMs know how to adapt. So once you get your messaging across on, let's say, um, manufacturer rebates, you know, the fact that a drug's list price might be high, but if there's a lot of rebates paid back to the PBM, the net cost is low. You know, the fact the distortions we talked about that cost sharing is based off of that high list price, even though the manufacturer's taking home less than 50% of that list price, that whole dynamic progress has been made from uh, an advocacy perspective, patient outreach perspective, progress has been made, but then PBMs change the game. Now it's new fees, you know, they're not called rebates, but they look a lot like rebates. Um, So they just make it more complicated. And and just when you, you know, you're able to articulate what it is that they're doing, they've, they've moved on to the next thing. So that's, that's been an ongoing challenge and uh, something we're working on. And then steering. So we have uh, patients who have known their pharmacies in their communities for years. It's been multi-generational care. And maybe it's uh, a family that has diabetes. And sure enough, it showed up in the next gen. And now they receive a letter from um, a pharmacy that says you have to now use a mail order pharmacy. You no longer have that relationship. The mailman or mail person uh, drops off your medications once every 90 days. Who knows what this temperature is of those medications? Who knows um, what the follow-up is? There's now no engagement with a pharmacist to be able to sit with the patient once every 30 days, once every 90 days, and make a reassessment of treatment. Because guess what, people? This is really makes me angry. Your condition can change. And if you don't have a pharmacist kind of helping you to follow along your treatment, you may be missing an opportunity to level up in your care, add something, subtract something, deprescribe, maybe lose less medications. These these PBMs don't give any reference to care. They give every reference to profiting and to how do we make more money based on the system. I never, ever see white papers from PCMA or any of the three big pharmacies that are about hey, here's how we've improved, say the magic word, care for patients that are suffering with, um, you know, multiple myeloma or hyperlipidemia or some serious um, disease that's really impacting their everyday life and living better. It's not about the care. And that should be screaming obvious to our legislators and to our Congress and to people that are setting laws in place to stop these PBMs from, like you said, evolving with algorithms and with contracting, with making up new ways to keep that revenue rather than using it for care. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Deborah Pat from Texas Oncology spoke to this exact dynamic that you're referring to uh, at a hearing last week. February 16th, there was a the Senate Commerce hearing on PBM transparency and accountability. 
Dr. Pat was a witness and, and she talked about this. She said, you know, due to the power of the top PBMs, the majority of oral cancer drugs are steered by the PBMs to their corporate affiliated specialty mail order pharmacies. The PBMs tell you this is a cost-saving measure. In reality, it allows them to effectively control the practice of medicine. We urgently need transparency and accountability. It's true. I mean, they're just taking that care aspect right out of the equation. And if we pretend for a second that the only thing that matters is money, you know, whether the patient is on the right drug, should stay on that drug, let's pretend for some gross second <laughs> that that doesn't matter. From a cost perspective, there's potential for, for wastage. Uh, Dr. Pat gave an example of a, of a cancer drug called Virginio. Uh, she said that when this steerage happens, there's often times where she would have taken someone off of the drug um, or changed the dosage. And but when the PBM has already done the steerage, that's already in motion. The script has already been filled and you've got a whole month of Virginio that's been wasted. And that's that's roughly ten thousand dollars. So, you know, from a care perspective and from an economic perspective, it just doesn't make sense. But when you have three PBMs controlling 80 percent of lives in this country, what are you going to do? You just you don't have the power to push back. And it's um, it's very frustrating. It's very frustrating. And we see it. We see it, um, you know, year after year, uh, manipulation to the existing markets, um, downright lies being told to Congress people about how they're saving money. I never see savings. I always hear talk about savings, especially when there's medical switching when it's just based on a contract and has nothing to do with pharmacy care. Um, and the physician and the pharmacist are standing there with their hands on their hips saying, how dare you change therapy that I know is going to work because I'm tracking it. I'm, I'm making sure that it's being followed up on. And then you run into the business bureaucracy that has once again, nothing to do with care. It has to do with how much money can we make on the system in private insurance, as well as, our taxpayers um, thrusting gobs and multi-billions, if not trillions of dollars into the system. And once again, it's being sucked out and then we're leaving the patients without the care that they need. And boy, I tell you, when, I'm, when I talk about um, CVS and uh, some of the antics, I absolutely love the pharmacists that I've met at CVS, some of the most passionate pharmacists that are in the business um, and, and how how they want to be more effective and they are even hostage in their own dysfunctional family that it seems like the tyrant parent of the family is this, you know, you know, greedy, uh, fat person that, yeah. that is, that is not paying attention to, wow, if I just let my pharmacist execute on the modalities and plans and treatments, we could, we could heal people. We could have people feeling better. We could get them more services uh, based on the money that we're more missing and or wasting so that pharmacists can do telemedicine, digital therapeutics that are now coming up, pharmacogenomics, testing your DNA, Lindsay, to make sure that your DNA is absorbing the medication that you're intended to have and paying for that test and saving money. There's, there's a savings. Why not put a patient on a specific psychotropic knowing that they're going to work that drug the way that it's supposed to be used and leveraged instead of just throwing these blind darts 
at a dartboard. And then once again, medical switching happens within three months. So it's a nightmare. It's literally a nightmare. The tests around whether a certain drug is appropriate for you, you know, based on a certain drug that a physician intends for you to have, that's the part that gets me. They don't care what the physician wants you to have. <laughs> it's all about what does the PBM think you should have? And uh, it really frustrates the physician practices, the oncology groups that we work with, the amount of time that they spend on the phone and the, the number of employees that they have to hire where their only job is to sit on the phone with PBMs and fight it out and say, no, 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 my patient really does need this certain drug. You can't have us have step therapy, you know, have a step edit where they take this other drug before they get access to the drug that I'm telling you they need to have. And they're often telling us that, the folks that they're fighting this out with at the PBMs, um, they're not always doctors. They're sometimes nurses. And if they are doctors, they're not from the same specialty. So, you know, at best, they're talking to another physician that's not an oncologist. Uh, it's it's really egregious. And I don't think patients realize how much work goes into getting them access to the appropriate drug. It's just so much time and energy uh, from the providers. So... Bring us up to date, and I'm excited about how the FTC seems to be joining the fight, but I I need someone at your level to kind of clarify what position that they've taken, as well as the data that continued can, can continue to be given to them. And I'm also talking about if, if other PBMs are listening to this podcast right now um, that are that are the fiduciary PBMs, the transparent PBMs who are also on our team fighting for reform to give the data, to give as much data as possible to the FTC so that they can continue to dig into um, uh, meaningful trade uh, within the space of, of pharmacy benefits. But can you give us an, an update on how the, the, P, the, the FTC is being positioned? Yes. So there is an FTC Section 6B study that's underway. It's called a 6B report that we're, we're waiting to come out. Uh, that's in reference to a part of the statute. But basically, it's um, a part of the statute that gives the FTC authority to ask companies like the large PBMs for this data. And so here is um, the quick history for you. In February of 2022, the FTC had a vote about whether they were going to engage in a study like this. The vote failed. There was debate around whether it was too broad in scope. Then they came back a couple months later, June of 2022, and the FTC you know, voted in favor of proceeding with um, a study on PBM's monopoly power. So the specific topics that they're looking into are uh, the role of fees and clawbacks that are charged to unaffiliated pharmacies, methods to steer patients towards their PBM-owned pharmacies, the potentially unfair audits of independent pharmacies, uh, the complicated and opaque methods of pharmacy reimbursement, prevalence of prior authorization, uh, the use of specialty drug lists, and then lastly, the impact of rebates and fees from manufacturers on formulary design and out-of-pocket costs. What I just rattled off, that's a really solid list of things to look into. Um, I'm sure the list could even be a bit longer. We'll take what we can get. They have sent out a request with questions on those topics that I just listed out. 
to the top six PBMs, uh, CVS, Caremark, Express Scripts, Optum. Obviously, they're the top three we talk about having 80% market share. Uh, they also sent this request out to Humana, Prime Therapeutics, and uh, Med Impact Healthcare Systems. Those are the PBMs that uh, they have, you know, that they're requesting this information from. So at this point, we're waiting on the outcome of this report. We don't have a solid timeline on when the FTC will come out with this report. They gave those PBMs 90 days to get back to them with that information. That information is not public at this point. So at this point, we would assume those PBMs have submitted the information that was requested. Uh, the FTC is analyzing it and they, they would come up with, you know, release their report somewhat soon. Uh, at Advi, we researched, you know, some average timelines around how long it takes the FTC to, from start to finish, um, complete a Section 6B report. Somewhere around 18 months is the timeline for some past reports, but we just, we don't have any confirmation on that. So we'll see. There's, there's some hope here. The U.S. Oncology Network and the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, both really influential in the space of cancer care. Um, they understand that clinical decisions regarding that specific treatment, changes to treatment, medication usage, and the ongoing course and changes that happen in cancer care is being impeded and being blocked by some of these PBM practices. There was an article that came out in the AJMC uh, just recently, not even a week ago, which references this by uh, Dr. Leilan um, Wifong, uh, MD, yeah. and it's yeah. based on evidence-based oncology practice. So they're basically saying, PBMs shouldn't even be in this discussion. We are clinicians. We are moving uh, cancer care forward. And here's what we've discovered. Let's execute. Let's move forward with the treatment. And they're hitting a brick wall with prior authorization, assuring that it's the PBM's way. It's not the, it's not the cancer specialist way. It's not the phar pharmacists in, you know, um, taking data and response to medication, a seven day, a, a 30 day, a how are you feeling 90 days into treatment, responding back and tracking back to the physician and the specialist saying, hey, let's make an adjustment to the, you know, this jack inhibitor or change this, this medication. No, no, no. It's all driven by the hostage taking, as I keep saying, um, from the PBMs. And it, and it blow my mind when I read this article from the AJM, J, AJMC. Uh, there's also some reports from COA, the Community Oncology Alliance, that I recommend everyone take a look at. They're called uh, the reports are called PBM Horror Stories, and it's it's a compilation of various oncologists uh, that are members writing into COA with patient-specific examples of what they've had to go through to get their patient access to the drug that they prescribed. It is like the title implies horrifying. There are months that go by and these people are not complaining about something minor or mild. This is cancer. You know, every yeah. minute counts. And they give examples of how, you know, the patient's condition has declines in their outlook for, you know, favorable prognosis. It goes down. Like these are real consequences. And it's often the PBM is just slow walking you, you know, it's kind of like, you have to prove how bad you want this drug. 
And it's, it's running out the clock. Really? Are you going to give up and just do what we told you to do in the first place? Are you going to keep fighting? Okay. Eventually, eventually we'll, we'll let you have what you said you needed all along, but it might take three months before you get there. Um, it's really, really terrible. And, um, they have some horrible examples in those reports. Lindsay, what is your call out to our listeners right now listening? We have we have policymakers listening. We have pharmacy owners. We have association leadership. The APHA is involved. The NCPA, the National Community Pharmacists Association, is involved. We have a um, organization that's part of our network called PUT, Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency, that is, that's done a tremendous amount of work. But what's your call out um, to organizations listening in right now as to how they can literally help you help them help patients and designing better pharmacy care and PBM reform? I think the patient perspective, the 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 patient driven examples, as I mentioned in those the core the COA horror story reports, those are incredibly effective. Not to minimize the voice coming from everybody else in this, you know, supply chain here, the manufacturers, the pharmacists, the providers, obviously really valid concerns that everyone's raising. But when it comes to policymakers, they just they listen harder when it comes to a, a patient perspective. So I think we just have to keep um, amplifying those voices and those stories and um, keep aggregating them. Uh, in a in an organized fashion to just make it clear just how this all really does impact patient care, patient care that should be driven by providers like doctors and pharmacists, you know, not folks sitting behind a desk um, based in another state, not specialized in a certain area. You know, we had to we got to get it back to um, the way you'd think medical care should work. So, yeah, amplifying the patient voice is is a big one. Well, that's good advice. And I know that there are community pharmacy owners listening in right now that have patients that call them, uh, that know them, that have known their whole family for years. They're part of the community that um, cry on the shoulders of their pharmacist saying, what can I do to change this? So you're absolutely right. Um, you know, we've always encouraged community pharmacists, um, independent community pharmacists to have a legislators day where they invite pharmacists to their operation they show them how they care for patients they show them their um, computer systems and management and obviously sign in uh, a non-disclosure and and get these uh, politicians involved in really understanding the grassroots issues of how this is impacting community health and public health and how the pbms are literally a public health threat uh, they are one of the biggest public health threats right now with the status quo, not PBMs in general. When I opened up the show, I told you and told our listeners that there was a need and a, and a meaning for good, well-run PBMs that are patient-focused, allowing our physicians and our pharmacists and our specialists to do what they do best, uh, heal people, uh, stabilize people, uh, get their chronic conditions um, under control and move forward. But um, that's not where we are today. Today, it is all about the profit and it's all about the PBMs, um, stockholders, you know, raising that that stock price. And it's it's just a, it's a travesty. And it's it's something that we're passionate about supporting. Um, you are a fighter. You're backed by um, organiz your organization that 
that believes in this as well. I got to have you back. We got to have like an update from you every once in a while on the PBM Reform podcast. But I just want to thank you so much for this time. Yes, thank you for having me. Would be delighted to come back. How can listeners reach out to you? Um, talk to me about best place to link. I linked up with you on LinkedIn, so I know that you're out there, but what's another way to get a hold of you? Yes, LinkedIn, or you can email me directly at lindsay.greenleaf at advi.com or check out our, our Advi website. Advi, A-D-V-I Health. Um, we are excited that you're part of this fight, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Thanks, Todd. PBM reform is not a textbook process. This component of healthcare insurance will take time to figure out and will consist of many different players of the pharmaceutical supply chain. If you'd like to contribute information, data, or your own insights on PBM reform, please contact the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Send your email to publisher at pharmacypodcast.com or call us at 412-585-4001.